Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Christine McClellan, and I am the Clinical Coordinator and PGY1 Pharmacy Residency Program Director at Emerson Hospital in Concord, Massachusetts, and I will be your host today for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. With me today are Brian Stump, PharmD, BCCCP, Clinical Pharmacy Manager, and PGY1 Pharmacy Residency Program Director at Frederick Memorial Hospital in Frederick, Maryland. Dr. Stump's practice areas include leadership, critical care, emergency medicine, and quality assurance. Also with us is Cassandra Chambers, PharmD, MBA, MS, Associate Director of Pharmacy at Kentucky Children's Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. Her practice areas include pediatrics, medication safety, informatics, process improvement, revenue integrity, and organizational culture development. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Stump and Dr. Chambers. Let's get started talking about today's topic, change management. So to begin, I think we have all heard the expression that the only constant is change. An important component of the role of any leader is change management. It's often a struggle for us ourselves to change our own behavior, habits, and workflow. So how do we as leaders work to change the behavior of others when change is needed and it can seem like such an insurmountable task? As we know, the healthcare environment is extremely complex and even small changes can have unknowing ripple effects. The healthcare landscape is not just shaped by changing clinical practice and innovative therapies, but also by external forces, financial, economic, and political changes at both the local and the national level. And of course, there are emerging infectious diseases that can sweep the world into a pandemic situation with little warning time for preparation. So change management is very complex. The impetus for change can be internal, it can be external, it can involve large groups across an organization, it could involve a single department or just a single clinical area. It may have a varying impact, it may affect only one component of a worker's day, or it may totally restructure established workflows. It may start small with frequent assessments and need improvements, and then it may require broad scaling across either an organization or a whole department. Sometimes change is time sensitive. There may be little time to plan, which might require fast decision making. And then other times, change is a long overdue implementation of a practice that we have been wanting to do. Change initiatives may be the vision we have long strove for in our departments that could involve expanding pharmacy roles, elevating practice within our pharmacy departments. However, there are times where change may not be of our own wanting, and that can complicate the change even further. It may be that it's something that we don't even fully support ourselves as leaders, but we're still forced to do it. Some dynamic organizations live in a constant state of change, which may bring with it change fatigue, and that might require the leader to find a new way to address this concern with colleagues and staff. As a new leader, or even as an experienced leader, when change management is needed, it's helpful to look at change management literature and to consult existing change management theories. It may be that one theory 
or a component of a single theory or looking at multiple theories may resonate with you and may be the spark to help you form a solid plan to attack the change that you're trying to accomplish. As leaders, we do want to be as effective as possible leading change. We may find that strategies that worked for us for one type of change don't work the next time. We need to be nimble. We need to be ready to use those tools that are available to us. And we need to use those tools in our decision making. So in addition to just consulting change management theories, it's often helpful to look at best practices and tips and strategies from our colleagues that have gone through similar change management. And that's exactly what we're going to do today in this podcast. We are going to talk to Dr. Stump and Dr. Chambers to discuss two change initiatives that they both underwent at their respective institutions. So let's start with the bridge transition theory, which this theory at its core makes the case that you must let go of the past in order to be able to move on to a future state. With this theory, it really highlights the transition and not as much the change itself. Change is something that happens to people while the transition is something that happens internally to the folks involved with the change. Transition is the psychological process that people go through as they come to terms with what happens as they go through change. And for this theory, the change itself can only work if the people affected by that change can get through the transition part successfully. This theory uh, is very heavily focused on the idea that leaders uh, provide a high level of support for their staff through each step of of the process to allow people to discover, accept, and embrace their identities in the new situation. The three stages of transitions are endings, the neutral zone, and new beginnings. So to begin, how do you best answer the question, what is changing with your staff? There are some recommendations on how to best do this. The first is to clearly express as the leader your understanding and intentions behind the change, to link that change to the drivers that make it necessary, to sell the problem really before you try to sell the solution to the problem, to not use jargon or words that people might not understand, and to try to keep your message brief, preferably under 30 seconds in duration. So Dr. Stump, let's start with you. How did you answer the question, what is changing with your staff? So thank you very much for the the introduction. Um, This question really resonated with me. I was fortunate enough to be able to go on a vacation right before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. And directly after I got back from vacation, I recognized that change related to the COVID-19 pandemic was already starting to occur. Our pharmacy buyer was ordering up on life-saving medications, and we were making changes in the workflow of the pharmacy staff um, immediately as soon as I got back. We knew that we had to limit person-to-person contact, and I immediately thought of our anticoagulation clinic um, due to the amount of close patient-to-staff contact that occurs in that area. Luckily, due to the nature of COVID-19 and the impact of people's health, the sale of the problem really was relatively easy for me. I drafted an email to my AC clinic team Uh, stating my concerns not only for the patient's well-being, but theirs also. I asked them to consider potential solutions to minimize person-to-person contact and tried to include them in the decision-making process. After I sent that out, we then scheduled a meeting to discuss our solutions and possible outcomes uh, of how we could change our practice to limit that patient-to-patient outcome. Dr. Chambers, how about you? Yeah, that's a really important question I think that you have to answer for your staff. So, Uh, In my situation, I was a brand new pharmacy manager. I had just started in a new institution where 
They had already budgets approved for their new USP 797-800 pharmacy renovation projects. And I was responsible for um, the OR pharmacy renovation project and quickly had to learn about how to manage a construction project and really the importance of keeping everyone in the loop. There was project managers, construction services, facilities management, a purchaser, security, IT, desktop services, my staff, and then all the other staff in the ORs that were going to be impacted by this project. So not only did I have to answer that question of what was changing for my team, but also for all those other external teams as well. So I really had to keep everyone informed throughout the six-month change process. I began communicating with my team stakeholders that the change was coming about three to four months in advance and used regular meetings with clear agenda items and assigned follow-up tasks after each of those meetings. We emailed updates regarding the project that were shared regularly with staff to keep everyone informed and aware that the change is coming and what changes to expect. So my pharmacy team in particular was already really generally aware that that change needed to happen. They they knew and understood USP 797 and they knew that that we needed to do that renovation and construction project. So they looked forward to having a segregated compounding area. However, I really had to sell this change to our external stakeholders and shared within the positive impacts this would have on their ability or really our ability to compound more medications for them with longer expiration dates. So once I was able to really sell that vision, help them understand the need for the project, that really helped get everyone on board. Great. Thank you both so much. William Bridges, he is the author of The Bridge Theory, is quoted as saying, I go into organizations where a change initiative is well underway, and I ask, what will be different when the change is done? And no one can answer the question. A change may seem very important and very real to the leader, but to the people who will have to make it work, it seems quite abstract and vague until actual differences that it will make begin to become clear. The drive to get those differences clear should be an important priority on the planner's list of things to do. So my question to both of you is, how did you explain what will actually be different because of the change to your staff and the stakeholders that were involved with the change? Dr. Stump, we can start with you. Sure. So clearly COVID-19 required a lot of changes quickly, but given the healthcare is a risky business and patient safety is, you know, of course, of utmost importance, you want to make sure that to not oversimplify your processes. We mapped our current state. What were the processes and procedures we currently had in place? We really needed to take an assessment of what we currently did. We then needed to identify the steps in which patient-to-patient contact took place. What steps in this process needed to be changed to meet our goal of safe patient interaction? For example, if a patient has a consistent therapeutic INR and remain in the same dose, we may not need to see them in a face-to-face interaction, a phone call-based device. This is something we've never done before and was definitely a new change for my staff. After identifying those opportunities, we began brainstorming solutions and walked through them to assess each potential outcome, making sure that they were as safe as possible. It's also the most important to perform before and after walkthroughs with my staff to really help highlight the differences. Yeah, and I think Dr. Stump's situation was a little bit more complicated. You guys, with COVID-19 hitting as quick as it did, I think none of us could really answer the question of what will be different very well in that situation. So I think in my example with construction project, we had a little bit more of a clear idea of what exactly was going to be different. So during construction, the OR staff at anesthesia, we identified that they were going to have to pull meds from the PIXIS machines more often than they were used to because the pharmacy was going to be closed and we were going to be working out of a closed closet space that wouldn't have all the room and space that we were used to having to store all of our drugs. 
So we would just have to really reduce our inventory, which is going to impact a little bit of the operations. So knowing that we were able to explain that, hey, this is one thing that was going to be different, uh, especially for anesthesia providers and the anesthesia technicians to understand that. Um, so that was one piece that we had to make sure they knew was going to be different. And then the location of the OR pharmacy was going to be in a different spot. It was actually in two different spots. We were going to have to rely on the tube station more and our OR front desk more often, which caused that to be an extra busy location. So again, another piece of the change that was going to be different for our teams. Early on in the change process, we identified the key players that needed to be involved in redesigning uh, the workflow for a while the pharmacy was down for construction. And we met on a biweekly basis to draw out process maps and develop clear communication to be shared with all primary services involved, but even the ancillary services too, such as the linen services and EDS. But once the construction actually began, we started having daily briefing calls that allowed us to quickly identify and communicate any problems or changes to the plan. So I think that's one piece of the change management process is not only identifying early on what will be different, but also throughout the change, continuing to communicate that clearly of all the things that will be different throughout the process and being able to have some kind of communication, whether it's daily briefing calls or something in place that we can continue to keep people in the loop while those changes are occurring. Great. Thank you. I really liked how you highlighted the difference between your two change experiences, sort of one being planned and the other not being planned, because that's sort of an important point and distinction between the two change that we're talking about today. Just expanding on the bridge transition theory, the bridge transition theory uh, also suggests that change starts with a loss. And it's really this idea of letting go of the old ways of doing things before the change and that we don't cross the line in separating uh, change management from transition management until we have asked the question, who will lose what or what will be lost? So Dr. Stump, we'll start with you on that one. If you can expand on how that you feel that part of the theory um, worked its way into your change. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that this part of the theory was a a big part of the thought process. So I really think it's an important question, especially in healthcare, when I'm going through something like COVID-19 pandemic and trying to make changes with my staff. We obviously don't want our patients to lose anything related to the quality of care that they receive. So most of the loss that was going to happen was with my staff and their comfort level regarding their processes, as a lot of them needed to change. We really need to let go of the desire to physically lay eyes on our patients all the time, you know, because of the fact that we couldn't see them face to face without posing significant risk to both of us. We really needed to let go of that that desire to see them. We also sometimes needed to let go of the security of always having an INR value to assess and monitor warfarin therapy, especially for our stable patients. Maybe it might not be the time to bring somebody in for an INR check if you know that those INRs are constantly and consistently therapeutic. Can we basically work with them over the phone? We also needed to let go of the protocolized methods of assessing when follow-up should occur and provide more situational-specific recommendations. You know, typically speaking, we would go along a protocol and say, you know, okay, this patient met this criteria for the next follow-up visit, and that follow-up visit may have only been a couple days in advance. Is there any way that we can work with the patient to um, maybe extend that visit out a little bit, making sure that they're still safe, while at the same time minimizing our, our interactions? So most of the loss actually came from my staff and their, their comfort level. With regard to COVID, I don't, we didn't really have a choice. And luckily, everybody was kind of on the same page at the same time going, it is what it is. We have to deal with it. And so we're all going to work through it together. But definitely loss is a big part of change. 
Yeah, and I think when you think about construction projects, we end up losing space. So your physical location is usually something that gets lost in the change. So for one piece sure. of our change, yeah. So so for us, it was our um, our new space for our pharmacy. So we had to relocate it during the construction and we needed a new space. And we really wanted to stay on the same floor as the OR suites. So we wanted to stay close enough to anesthesia so they could stay garbed up to access their meds. And it just made sense for us to try to stay as close as in proximity to that area as possible. So we actually conducted some space walkthroughs with stakeholders who owned spaces that we had identified. And after several walkthroughs, we identified a linen closet that we were able to use. However, that was the linen services space. Um, so they they were going to be losing their space temporarily. And that in turn created even more change to manage outside of pharmacy. So in this case, not only was pharmacy losing space, but now linen services was losing space as well. So we were all losing things. But I worked with the linen services manager to identify a new location for their linen carts so that we could use their space during the time. And then ultimately, we found that the new location we found for linen services ended up being more preferred by staff. So it turned out to be a win-win really for both sides. That doesn't always happen uh, and rarely happens, I think. So I think that was, in this case, it was a loss for a longer-term win, I would say. So it turned out to be beneficial. It's sometimes impressive of how many people actually have to be involved in a change process in a healthcare organization. Yeah, I had no idea. (laughs) So let's talk about another model, Cotter's eight-step, which suggests that for change to be successful, 75% of a company's management or leadership needs to buy into the change. So this model uh, requires a significant amount of time is spent on getting people to understand the need for change with an emphasis that change occurs within the individual, not the organization. It starts with creating a sense of urgency and building a coalition. Dr. Stump, do you want to discuss how you did this? Sure. Thank you so much. So in terms of creating a sense of urgency, I think COVID-19 really helped me with that. You know, we had no idea really what was going to happen uh, with the pandemic or how it was going to play out as we were kind of in the middle of March when all of this was occurring. So I was lucky enough in that sense that, you know, the urgency was already there related um, in both in my patients, my staff members, as well as the hospital as a whole. With regard to building a coalition, I think that it really just uh, means involving the key players, right? Having meetings to gain consensus so that everybody knows where we're going and what the, the plans are. To do this, you really want to make sure that you're including your frontline staff as they know the best processes and what will work and what won't work. This is also a time to lay the groundwork for future states. What sort of ideas can we be generating right now that may prove beneficial to the overall workflow? And we need to assess change that may seem beneficial even in non-COVID times. So involving my key players here is not only just my pharmacist, but there's a lot of other people that are involved in my AC clinic. Staff members from phlebotomy and registration, including their management teams as well. My medical director and informatic technology or my IT pharmacist, I needed help from them to set up new computer systems and things of that nature interpreting services for patients that had um, language barriers or even facilities management as I needed to move my AC clinic out of the hospital. With regard to forming a strategic vision and initiatives, the vision was to maintain a high level of pharmaceutical care while minimizing person-to-person contact. And as I just said a minute ago, we moved our AC clinic off-site to minimize the person-to-person contact of people moving through the hospital as obviously we would have a lot of COVID-positive patients here in the hospital given the pandemic. We wanted to make sure that patients minimized their time in our AC clinic, so they would come in for an INR check and then leave. 
we conducted patient interviews over the phone and really only saw patients face-to-face if we really truly felt the need. So we would see patients who had a very low or very high INR, those that had bleeding issues, or those that just per the clinical judgment of the pharmacist needed to actually be seen. Otherwise, we were trying to do this over the phone. We also wanted to explore new avenues of care. And again, what can we gain for future states about going through this process currently that may prove beneficial down the road? That's great, Dr. Stump. Thank you for sharing. I'd just like to point out that there are some additional steps to this model that can be developed further depending on the change initiative. So I would just invite our listeners to explore this model further as needed for their own change initiatives. Dr. Chambers, you also felt that your change initiative followed a different model besides the bridge model. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that for our change situation in particular, I think that the Kurt Lewin three-step model of the unfreezing change and refreezing, I think that actually kind of naturally fit our construction project a little bit more naturally than uh, some of the other models, I guess. So usually there's already that natural understanding amongst the team as to why the change needs to occur. And in the Kurt Lewin three-step model, there's those clearly defined moments during the change process that align with unfreezing change and refreeze which would be like your pre-construction, construction, and post-construction phases of the change process. So an important piece of this model is to really avoid returning to previous state. And in order to do that, for our team, we solicited feedback from the staff on how they wanted the new pharmacy to look after the construction. So it was just really important for us and for our staff to make sure that we had their buy-in to ensure that they were going to really use that space as it was designed. And um, the goal was to keep this as a more usable and clean space to be compliant with USP 797 as a segregated compounding area. So once the construction project was over, we had to create new workflows and designs that allowed us to use the space as it was designed. Sometimes the post-construction phase or the rephrasing step can be the most challenging phase in change management because people like to go back to what they know. However, this part in the process is essential to making sure all the hard work and in our case, a lot of money, and we want to make sure it all pays off. Dr. Stump and Dr. Chambers. I'd like to thank you both for taking the time today to discuss your change management projects. I think it was a great opportunity for our listeners to hear how your projects aligned with current change theory models and how you applied those models to your practice. Join us here on Tuesdays where we will be talking with ASHP members about leadership topics within pharmacy practice. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.